there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you want to break into the field of education, especially education policy, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest heads up a nonprofit dedicated to improving the quality of public school education in Oregon for all students. But before I introduce you to Toya Fick, the Oregon Executive Director of Stand for Children, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays, and it's got unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my educationally-oriented espresso lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew. Because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Toya Fick, the Oregon Executive Director of Stand for Children, a nonprofit education advocacy organization that's focused on ensuring that all children and all students receive a high quality and relevant education, especially for those whose boundless potential is overlooked and undertapped because of their skin color, zip code, first language, gender identity, sexual orientation, or disability status. Toya's determination to help students succeed is rooted in her own upbringing. She overcame tremendous obstacles growing up in a small town in Louisiana and became the first member of her extended family to graduate from college. Through her experience as a middle school teacher in Baton Rouge and in Washington, D.C., Toya also saw firsthand how bad policies negatively impact the classroom. And she drew from those experiences as an education policy staffer for former Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton and then as an advocate with the Alliance for Excellence in Education. Before joining STAND in the summer of 2012, Toya worked in government relations for the Oregon Health and Science University. Toya's leadership and community activism earned her a feature in Portland Business Journal's 40 Under 40 in 2017. She's also served on the boards of the Oregon Food Bank, the City Club of Portland, the Mount Hood Cable Regulatory Commission, and the Citizens Budget Review Committee for Portland Public Schools. Toya, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am. I am. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we should let our listeners know that you are joining us right now. It's about coming up on 730 in the morning in Portland, Oregon. How is my favorite Portland coffee shop, Stumptown, doing? Oh, it's great. I haven't been there in a bit, but I, I do love their coffee. They're fantastic. They're doing really well. They've actually got some Stumptown cold brew. They do. in Yeah, in my local Whole Foods. Oh, wonderful. And oh my goodness, it it's is good. a little taste of heaven. <laughs> it's very good. Okay. Well, let's dive into our 10 
espresso shots, and we're going to frame these around education policy. What entry-level jobs, Toya, are available to young people who want to break into education policy? Well, there are plenty of opportunities out there, just depending on what you're looking for and, and whether or not you can afford to have a paid or an unpaid internship. I work in a nonprofit. We do a lot of work with other nonprofits around town and in other states in this sector. And many people are always looking for internships. We typically try and have paid opportunities for students because we know not everybody can afford to go a summer working 20 hours for no pay at all. So there, there are internships available usually around mm-hmm. uh, at different organizations. We work with younger folks a lot. And so we have many organizer positions. At my company, organizers are folks who work directly with families, with students sometimes to help advocate for the kinds of change we want to see in our system. And then because I've worked in DC for a bit, I know that there are a ton of what are called AmeriCorps programs they are the many programs like Teach for America is an AmeriCorps program throughout the country where you can sometimes be placed in a school to get a feel for what's happening in a school building before you sort of go into that career. But there are tons of opportunities out there if, you're, if you know kind of where to look. But I would check your local nonprofits to see if there are internships available. Fantastic. What about a useful hard and soft skill that you look for, Toya? in the young people that you hire, whether at Stanford Children or at other organizations where you've been working in advocacy? Yeah. So I always think about people's ability to connect with others, either through writing. So we do a lot of our work via email. So that's super helpful skill to have, a hard skill to have, but also in connecting with people in person. We typically work with families, them in person. We work with school board members in person. We work at the state capitol in person and you want to walk away having left an impression. And so the ability to connect in person is a really big part of what we're looking for. So more like social skills. Lots of social skills needed for sure. Okay. What about someone's major? Is it a deciding factor to get into education policy work? In other words, I don't know if they haven't studied poli sci, if they haven't studied education, is it a deal breaker? It's not. I typically look for what you did while you were in college outside of your major, because I think the kinds of skills we need that come with a college degree will be transferable regardless of what your major is. We we work with a lot of young people who have not majored in education, and that's totally fine. So yeah, the major is not necessarily a deal breaker. It's really, were you in student government? Did you volunteer at a school? Did you do things outside of that major that helped make you a a well-rounded person? And so the major is not something I ever really look for on a resume. So in other words, extracurricular activities. Right, right. What did you do? What other things did you do? For sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about a graduate school degree and less so for somebody who's looking to get in on the ground floor, whether as an organizer or an intern or whatever the associate position might be, more so for somebody who wants to get into the executive team of a nonprofit or maybe wants to run a nonprofit one day? Is it important to have one? And if so, What do you think would be the most useful ones to have? 
I don't think it's important to have one, but if I could say which ones are more useful, a master's in public policy, given the kind of work we do, is helpful. Just knowing how policy can impact people is a big part of the work we do. And so having a master's in public policy is, is helpful. A master's in business administration is also helpful when you're thinking about running a nonprofit. It's like running a business in many ways. And so understanding how that works is helpful. But I would say it's, it's not a prerequisite to running a nonprofit. Excellent. What about life experiences, Toya? What, in your opinion, again, those kinds of experiences outside the classroom do you think are the most useful ones for someone to have starting out in this field? And I say that knowing that in the introduction, I spoke about the fact that you were the first in your family Mm -hmm. to go to college. How do you think that life experience was valuable to you and for our young listeners? Something like that. How could that influence their ability to thrive in this industry? That's a great question. I draw on my experience as a first-generation college student all the time in this work. And as an educator, I think it's really important to understand the struggles of families who are trying to help their kid navigate this system. We work with families who are working with the education system. And so understanding how those families who may not have all the resources, including time. My mom was a single mom and worked a ton. So really understanding how people are interfacing with this system is really, really important. And so many people on my team are the first in their families to go to college or one generation removed from immigrating to the United States because we work with a lot of families whose first language isn't always English. So really understanding the needs of those families, the hardships of those families, and how the system engages with them is really important to then informing the policies that impact their lives. And so we spend a lot of time talking in in interviews with folks about their life experience. How did you get here? What teacher inspired you? How did you navigate the system on your own and use that to help the families work with? Yeah. And I think this speaks very much to one of the soft skills Mm -hmm. that you were highlighting about the ability to connect with others. If you have had a similar life experience as some of those for whom you're advocating, that's going to make you much more empathetic, much more able to connect with them. That's right. That's right. And so we look for that quite a bit in the work we do. Toya, what is the best part for you of being in this field? I would say seeing the impact down the road of the work that you've done. I've been at stand now eight years, which is a long time for me. I had typically moved around a little bit to get different kinds of experiences, but staying in this seat and this organization, doing the kind of work we do, and then getting to see two, three years down the road, the impact of a bill that I helped to write that got resources that are going to schools across the state. Seeing that is the best part. And my favorite thing about that is that people don't People don't typically know who wrote the bill. And so when I, when, I, when I meet someone who has a job because of the resources that I fought for to go to this school and they are having, that person's having an impact on the students in that school, it's the most heartwarming thing I've ever done because you get to see what's happening in something that you sort of went into a room and wrote by yourself or wrote with two other people. And now it's impacting the lives of thousands of kids across the state you live in. And that's, 
it's beautiful. And I didn't know that that kind of thing could happen, but it's been happening a lot these last eight years. Oh, amazing. Now, I know because I'm a former advocate myself, and I've also worked in the nonprofit world, that there are lots of flip sides to those highs, right? Uh What for you right now is the part of your current job as the Oregon Executive Director of Stanford Children that sucks the most? (laughs) I would say that there's so much of the space I work in that's already baked in, right? We've been doing public education in this country for a while now. It's not something that's new. And so you don't get to build it from scratch using the best ideas and best tools available now. You're sort of locked into this system that's been going on long before you were here that you're trying to change or undo or, you know, I often say in meetings, if we were starting from scratch, if things were wiped out, would we build it the way it is now? And the answer is always no, but you're still in it. And so really having to undo the parts that aren't necessarily working for kids, whether it's the school calendar or when school starts for high school kids, we have a lot of information and data and research about start times for schools and how it impacts teenagers, but we still make it in the way it is. In other words, they need more sleep and school starts too early. And so simple things like that. You just can't write a bill on a piece of paper and turn it in and change all the things. And that's the part that I find the hardest because it's a lot of it's baked in. And so you have to find ways to change it one little piece at a time. Yeah. And then layer on top of that, the world that we're living in right now. Hello, Uh COVID-19. And I, I'm guessing that your head's ready to explode. It is. <laughs> because for the first time, we are telling teachers to really be partners with parents in a way that they've never had to be before. When you think about before COVID, the engagement with families was usually through a parent-teacher conference once a year, sometimes twice a year, depending on the school year, the school system that you're in. And now we're asking folks to do their jobs very differently. And that is that takes time. That's a lot of change in a very short amount of time. And it's it's really hard. And so, yeah, my head is exploding and every district is in the Oregon is doing something that's slightly different and not necessarily knowing exactly what the plan will be two weeks from now. It's also hard to advocate for a certain thing, right? You yeah. don't know when kids will actually ever go back to school full time in person. So it's really hard to, to know where the parameters are because things are changing so much. Three final espresso shots, Toya. Mm -hmm. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten? I got some really great advice from a colleague in a different Senate office maybe 10, 12 years ago. And he said that I need to be confident in the unique perspective that my experience brings to the conversations that we're having. And I never thought of it that way before because I always felt a little bit like a fish out of water going from low-income family to college to teaching to then being at that time in, in policy that impacts the entire country. That's kind of a really, that's a really big leap and feeling like I didn't really belong there, but really being the only person in the room who taught in the kinds of schools under the law that we we're trying to change was really important perspective. And I didn't realize I had it in a way that could inform the conversation. And I've carried that with me 
for the last 12 years, just thinking about how my experience, having grown up the way I did and having the path I had really impacts the conversation on policy. And that's, that's been a guiding star for me. And what about being a Black woman? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if your listeners know much about Portland or Oregon, but it's a very white place. I think Black people are two and a half percent of the total state's population. And so I'm, I'm often the only woman. I'm often the only young woman. I'm often the only woman of color. And I'm almost always the only Black person in the group. And really sort of thinking about, particularly in the time that we're in right now, with the work happening around the country on Black Lives Matter, really sort of having a different kind of perspective that helps guide the conversation forward is, is really important to me and is something that I don't take for granted. How diverse is this field, the education policy field? How many Black people are in this field, let alone Black women? Very few. And again, this is not unique to Oregon. I bet when you close your eyes and think of your teachers, you probably see a white woman because that's what the field looks like in the classroom. If you think about your principal growing up, you probably see a white man, right? For some reason, the leadership sort of tends to be men. So superintendents, principals, that level is typically occupied by white men. And so there are very few women of color in the policy space. And that's true across the country. I and my colleagues who work in the other eight states say very similar things. And so we work on issues that impact all kids, but in particular the kids that you named at the beginning of the segment, kids of color, kids with without as many access to resources. And so working with those families, they're oftentimes some of the only black and brown faces in the policy setting. And we bring them because their voices are important and their their students stories matter. And so people don't tend to forget that (laughs) because it's not a perspective they hear very often. Yeah. Well, we are going to get more into that in our main time for coffee interview in which we talk with Toya about what she does as the Oregon Executive Director of Stanford Children and how she has built her remarkable career. So check out show notes to see if the main time for coffee interview has already dropped. Toya, what movies, if any, or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, streaming shows, or books, do you think accurately depict this profession? You know, I haven't, and that was a hard question to sort of wrap my mind around thinking about all the movies I've seen about education, because there's not a ton on the policy and how the laws get written that then impact the schools across the country. But I recently heard two podcasts that I recommend to a lot of folks. Anything Nicole Hannah-Jones of the New York Times does is important and should be heard. Her work around school integration has been eye-opening. I was I was bused to white schools as a kid in Louisiana. And so really understanding how that impacts kids of color and what happens in their education lives after that is really important. And I recently finished a podcast called Nice White Parents. And it Nice Light or white, Nice White? Nice White Parents. Okay. And it, I think it's, oh, I can't think of, it's the serial podcast series. Okay. And it walks through the impact white families have on a predominantly low-income school in Brooklyn with, with kids of color. And it's just as, it was super interesting and eye-opening and that sort of walks through a little bit 
policy at the district level can impact what happens at a school. You know, those two podcasts really have been the most analogous to the kind of experiences that we face doing our work in education policy here. Great. Okay. We'll include links to both of those podcasts. Thank you so Mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession, Toya? So I often, when I interview folks for jobs who haven't done work in education policy, they always walk away saying, well, who can be against education? How could people be against educating kids? And it's, it's a lot more nuanced than that. So really, it's not as cut and dry and black and white. And again, because a lot of the things that we are advocating for are not already baked into a system, right? And so really thinking about how you're changing things to ensure kids who are typically left behind in this equation are no longer left behind is where we sort of face our challenges. And I think it's, it's sometimes hard to explain because people think, how could you be against education. And it's not just that simple. But I think that typically surprises people. People don't necessarily understand the nuances of how we change our system that's been been done forever in this country in a way that doesn't necessarily give kids of color and low-income kids the kinds of opportunities they need to thrive. Thank you. That was a great answer. Certainly, I think that would be surprising because on its face, everybody would think, hey, why not improve education for everyone? But when you start moving the deck chairs around, that gets, whether it's unions, teacher unions, or... Our parents are used to having things a certain way. So yeah, that's that's why that podcast, Nice White Parents, was very informative, really thinking about moving things around a bit so that kids who have been disadvantaged have better opportunities. And I highly recommend it. If you are interested in learning more about what Toya does as the Oregon Executive Director of Stanford Children, please check out show notes to see if her main Time for Coffee interview has already dropped. Toya, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was just wonderful. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.